with him, you could get infected yourself. And that would be a good thing. Thank you so much for, uh, I haven't tapped my toes so much in a long, long time. And if we could do a little spiritual line dancing, I'd join up and give it a try. I tell you, thank you. For those of you who stood and have prodigals out there somewhere, um, in August of 2017, a prodigal came home at our house after 13 years away. Uh, he came, his wife came. And they're now uh, teaching a Sunday school class at our home church, working in vacation Bible school, going through some deep waters right now, but they're safe at home. Amen. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you, don't give up. Just keep praying and keep leaning in and keep believing and keep claiming. And draw a circle and put it around them. And tell the Lord you're not going to leave him alone till you get him back. And he'll be faithful. Thanks be to God. Nice to see you here on a Tuesday night. It's supposed to be a down night. I like your down here. <laughs> nice to have people from Missouri. Is it Missouri or Missouri in Hannibal? Doesn't matter. Depends on which one of you I talk to. Then. Okay. Well, Illinois is the same everywhere, so it's a little easier. Our scripture tonight comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to begin my reading, verse 11. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning with verse 11. Now, to give you a little history, Solomon has finished, he finished his house first. And then he finished the Lord's house. And uh, he's already had a conversation with God about all the things he wants to happen. And he's prayed a beautiful prayer, the dedication of the temple. The glory of God filled the place. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the glory of God would fill a place? Amen. And we happened to be there when he did it. I'd go a long ways out of my way to be there. If I knew where he was filling one tonight, and hopefully it's right here, but I'd go a long ways. And... Um, so now, God's going to speak back to him. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord tonight. A little introduction here. Thus Solomon finished uh, the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his palace. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens uh, so that uh, it does not rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Those of you who've been here throughout these services know that the Lord has called me at this stage of my life into something more. He's asking more of me and he's offering more of himself to me. He's the God of immeasurably more. He has uh, whetted my appetite for more. I'm hungering and thirsting more than I ever have in my life and seeking to know him better and walk more closely to him day by day. It's quite an adventure for me and I'm, I'm thrilled to be uh, on this adventure at this stage of my life. And last night I reminded you that the God of immeasurably more who offers us more is now asking what I'm calling immeasurably more from us, a full surrender and a full sacrifice. That's what he's calling forth from us. He's given so much, now he's asking us to to reciprocate by yielding ourselves completely to him. And tonight he's extending another invitation to us as his people. And that's to be difference makers. Um, Brother Marcus has been reminding us that he wants to be an atmosphere changer. And God is asking all of us to accept the invitation to change the atmosphere. I've never kept track of a lot of dates, things like that. I, I never have journaled. I've got several journals that I bought to journal in. And I started... But I declare, I I just got to thinking, I'm not sure I want people after I'm dead to be reading something that I was thinking on April the 3rd and wonder what in the world was wrong with him then. So uh, I don't don't journal. If you do, I applaud that. You're more courageous than I. If I did journal, I'd burn them all, have them cremated with me. I'd I'd do something with them. But I've never journaled. I don't, uh, don't keep track of a lot of dates. But there are some dates in my life that are particularly meaningful to me. Uh, some encounters with God that would go back. Uh, I was grew up in the church and I was saved so many times. I can't really tell you the time it really took. Uh, like so many who grew up in the church, we lived uh, in fear of hell and the devil and all that. So we, we sought God a lot. I don't think that was unhealthy. Uh, I liked it better then than when we don't seek him hardly ever. I think it's better for children to learn to seek God over and over again than to than just never to move and never to seek him at all. I'm glad for that because one day it stuck, and then when I was a junior in high school, between my junior and senior year at West Texas camp in Glen Rose, Texas, I surrendered my life fully to the will and purpose of God. And I've, I've never been the same after any of those encounters. But there have been some other times when God has slipped into my life quite unexpectedly and um, almost uninvited, but he did. We, we had revivals when I was pastoring in Olathe, Kansas at our college church, and we had Sunday over Sunday revivals, and we had chapel services every morning and then services at night. So we had 16 services in a, from a Sunday to Sunday. It, it was hard work. It was hard work for the people who were preaching and singing, and it was hard work for the people who were coming and listening. 
it was just a hard, it was a hard, hard time, hard work. It, it was expensive in time and energy and sometimes in money for people to set aside opportunities to be there and, and to be in revival. Twice while I was pastoring, they asked me to preach that revival effort. And the last time was in 2005. And on March the 5th, 2005, we had had our two Sunday morning services. And God had just been with us all week and so many good things had happened. And I was walking to my car uh, after the service. Most everybody else was gone. I, I was always late getting out of church. And so I walk into the car. And as I got close to my car, the Lord spoke to me uh, in a voice louder than one I could hear audibly. And he said, you have had a good week. And I said, yes, Lord, we have. And he said, and this is one of those times when the word more comes back into my life. He said, would you like more? And I said, yes, I would. Well, then he said, I, I want you tonight when you get up to preach to tell the congregation that beginning tomorrow night, you and Patty will be at the church every night of the week at seven o'clock for at least an hour of prayer and invite them to come. And then you'll have a Saturday prayer and fasting time at 11 o'clock and you'll keep all the other prayer meetings that you have in the life of the church. And I readily agreed. I went home that afternoon. I got to thinking about that and I thought that's really hokey. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I actually I don't want to go to church every night of the week and pray an hour. I just I just don't want to do it. So I kind of put it out of my mind. But when I got up to preach that night, I found myself saying and I hadn't even talk to Patty about this. So I was quite a surprise to her. But I said, I, I, God spoke to me today and, and told me that Patty and I should be here every night of the week at seven o'clock for at least an hour of prayer. And I want to invite you to join us. And they, they did join us. There were over 600 people that were participating in those prayer meetings on the different nights of the week and the other prayer meetings that we had. And it, it changed the culture of our church family. There was more and God responded and poured more into our lives. It was almost a magical season when uh, people would walk in the door that had no reason to walk in the door and invitations were given and people who were there the first time made their way and were wonderfully saved and went on to be sanctified and, and went on to become important members in the life of the church. Just a, a glorious time, great a great moment when God spoke into my life. And I, I wrote that down. I took note of that. God, God spoke to me and I responded in obedience. However reluctantly I did it, I, I did it. And God honored even my reluctant obedience in order to accomplish his will. Then on January the 29th of this year, we were in Hernando, Florida for revival. And the pastor there had asked everybody to read 2 Chronicles 7.14. And so I had been reading it and weaving it, if I could, into the, to the services. And on the 29th, I woke up very early. And I've developed a habit over the years to make God my first thought in the morning. I shared that with you the other night. And, and God my first conversation. And then my first read just try to have a pattern of that. And I began to talk to the Lord. And he began to talk to me about Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. And I discovered something that I'd never, never known before. I've always thought this passage was about prayer. But I don't think it is. That's not the main subject here. 
the main subject here is my people. It's my people. If my people, then I will. We spend a lot of time pointing at the culture, and the culture is in a, an unholy mess, and we know that. And we're critical of the culture. But the culture's just behaving the way cultures do. The world's just behaving like the world does. They're doing what comes naturally to them. The problem is not on the street. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? The problem is in the church. The world is doing a better job of being the world than the people called by my name are doing at being the people of God. Now, please don't take that as an insult or a harsh criticism. It's just a reality, and I think deep in our hearts, we all know that there's some truth to that. So my people, that's the secret here. My people are God's timeless, simple strategy for saving the world. My people. He has no other plan. There's no other plan in Scripture laid out except my people, the people called by my name. And here in this, this verse, he says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and if they'll pray and if they'll seek my face and if they'll forsake their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll bring healing to the land. Because God is bigger than the land and God is greater than the culture and God's greater than the Democrats and the Republicans all put together. And he's greater than the Congress and the president and all the armies of the world. Our God is greater and mightier than all of them but God has chosen not to do anything by himself. Over the past uh, few years, I've, I've come to believe three things about God, and I say it nearly everywhere I go. I believe that our God is always up to something. He just doesn't tell us what he's up to. And I believe God always has a plan. You know, he speaks these ridiculous ideas into our minds. You have had one of those ridiculous ideas. You've been sitting in church sometime and the preacher's preaching or Marcus is doing a cartwheel and you just get an idea in your mind and you think that's what I ought to do, but you don't do anything about it. That's a spirit of God speaking into your mind and heart to take on something for his kingdom and for his glory. And that happens more often in corporate worship than any other place. And, and those thoughts come to us, and we, we just think of them as fleeting thoughts. But that's the Spirit of God speaking into our lives, offering us an opportunity to be a part of something really dramatic and something really beyond our imagination. God's always up to something. He always has a plan, but he seldom works alone. He's always looking for volunteers. If evangelist Mike Benson were here tonight, he'd say, now I'm recruiting tonight. I want you to know I'm recruiting. And when he comes to the invitation time, he stands right here and he says, all right, I'm looking for volunteer number one. Who is it? Come on, volunteer. And then volunteer number two. And then volunteer number three. I'm not going to do that because I don't have the courage that Mike Benson has. And besides that, Mike Benson's always carrying a gun. So he can, he can make some things happen if he has to. 
He's got a, a, a secret weapon. But, but I am recruiting tonight. I, I'm recruiting people to respond to the initiative of God as he speaks into your life. I'm not asking you to teach a class or, or join the church or anything like that. I'm just asking you to listen to God. And if God speaks, then be open to respond in obedience to his call. You remember Genesis chapter 18 and the story of Abraham and Sarah? Abraham has had a vision from God. He's been in the presence of God. Would you like to be Abraham and be able to just sit down face to face with the Lord and talk to him? And Abraham's having this conversation with God. And, and, and I'm not exactly sure when you read it, you don't get a lot of explanation. You just move through the story. And suddenly there are three men coming toward him. And Abraham recognizes that these are people from God. So he, he, uh, he invites them in. He tells Sarah to fix some lunch. And he washes their feet and comforts them and tells them he's so glad to see them. And they're talking to him. And in the course of the conversation, you remember what the, one of the men said? said, oh, oh, by the way, I thought I might ought to tell you this, that, that a year from today, Sarah's going to have a little boy. So just put that in your pocket and remember it. And Sarah, back in the kitchen, she hears that, and she cackles like an old hen. She just is saying, not on your life. That just is not going to happen. And she just can't believe it. And Abraham is too stunned to even think about it kind of dismisses it. The angel said, well, I'll, I'll be back a year from now. So you just get ready and, and, and prepare for this. And then Abraham's walking with them. They're going down to Sodom. The scripture says that the wickedness of Sodom has risen up before the father. And now the father has come down in the person of these three people to check it out, just to see what all's going on here. Well, Abraham's walking along, and, and then in Genesis 18, it's, it's like we're listening to God talk among himself. And he says, now, you know, I've chosen Abraham to be the father of a great nation. I wonder if I should tell him what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe I ought to tell him. Yeah, I, I think I ought to tell him. So Abraham is walking along, and the Lord says to him, Abraham, by the way, uh, Coming down, I'm going to check out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to wipe the whole thing off the face of the earth. And then Abraham, full of audacity. You read this, it's, it's just almost unbelievable. He just says, well, I declare, God, that's very ungodlike of you to do that. Very unbecoming of you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. He said, what, what, if, uh, what if we could find 50 righteous people over there? Wouldn't you spare the city for them? And God said, uh, well, yes, I would. I would. And then Abraham begins to bid. It's like an auction in reverse. Abraham says, well, let me, let me bid 40 righteous people. How about that? I think he went to 45 first. And God said, yes, I'd spare. Well, how about 40? Yeah. How about 30? Yes. Well, let me, let me offer one. How about, how about 20? How about 10? And God said, if there are 10 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Spare the city. Sodom was destroyed not because of its wickedness. Sodom was destroyed for the lack of righteousness. 
Ten righteous people could have saved the city of Sodom. Ten righteous people. Righteousness weighs more heavily in the economy of God than wickedness and counts for more. My people, we're the key. We're the solution. It's not in some strategy. It's not in some new idea that comes down from somewhere. It's a very simple strategy. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will admit they don't have the solution, and admit that they can't do it on their own, and will, will humble themselves and pray. Prayer is our pathway to effectiveness. And, and if they'll seek my face, I thought a lot about that little phrase. And I thought of all the times standing out in the foyer of the church after service and talking to a young couple and some little boy, little girl runs up and, and starts pulling on his dad's pants leg or his mother's uh, skirt uh, or pants leg. It's not many skirts around anymore, but pulling on something. And, uh, and you know, the, the parent kind of does this to say, I'm, I'm busy right now. They, they know that. Just, they don't say anything. They just, and the, the kid just keeps on. You know how... I see a lot of children, you know, and moms and dads here, you know how they do. And finally, the parent will reach down and put their hand on the little child's shoulder. And when they kind of wiggle, I, you see the little kid go, because mom and dad squeezing and kind of paralyzing the little child here for a moment. We're, we're trying to say, I'm busy now, busy now. And you, you know what that child finally does? He just grab hold of his daddy's leg or he'll bury himself in his mother's stomach, and he'll just hold on. They'll just hold on. And they'll hold on until finally mom or dad stops what they're doing, and, and they say, what is it you want to say to me? What do you need? What do you want? You know what they wanted? They wanted your face. They wanted you to turn to them. They didn't want your hand. They wanted your face. They wanted your full attention. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel of God or God himself. We're not exactly sure who it was. And when the morning was coming and the person spoke and said, I'm leaving now, J Jacob grabbed hold and said, not on your life. I will not let you go. Until you, until you bless me. I'm not going to let go. You can kill me if you want to, but I'm not going to let go. I won't let you get away from me. I won't let you escape. I'm going to hold on until you bless me, until you give what I'm asking for from you. And it was in that moment of desperation that God touched him and crippled him. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. And oh, It'd be a wonderful thing if all of God's people walked with a little limp because of the touch of God. <laughs> yes, we've been touched by God, and we've never been able to walk the same again. Never been able to move the same again. We've been stricken by God, and it's made all the difference in our lives. They'll humble themselves and pray, and, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, that's really hard for we holiness people because we don't think we got none of that. We don't got no wicked ways. And I'm not talking about the patterns of sin with which we live. I'm talking about the sins of omission and the sins of commission, the, the angry words that are sometimes spoken, the intentional neglect of someone because we just don't want to be bothered at that time, the promises we've made to God over the years and haven't kept because we've kept them a secret and never told anybody, so it was easy to set them aside and go on about our business, just business as usual. Confess, turn from, stop being that way with God. He said, I will, I will hear from heaven and I'll bring healing. I'll bring healing. I still believe that. I still believe that. I believe God wants to do that. But I think God's waiting on my people. He's not waiting on the world to reform. He's not waiting on the next president to unite the country. He's not waiting on that. All, all of that's incidental to God. What God is waiting for is for his people, and not only the people in this room, but all of his people, to hear his call and respond to his call and accept his invitation. Do you realize how valuable you are in the economy of God? We're the deal breakers or the deal makers. We're the ones that can open the floodgates. We're the one that can release the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just waiting on us. The Lord's hand is not shortened and his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. He's just waiting on us. Waiting on us. You say, well, I know I'm not a preacher. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about living winsomely, courageously, sharing your faith, not telling other people what they ought to do about their lives. We're so good at telling people, if you just quit that and quit that, you get your life in order. Well, they, they, many of them already know that. What they don't know is, is there an answer? The best thing to do is, is to say, what Sarah said the other night, and I don't see her here, but she's here, but she stood up and said, God delivered me from sugar. Now, to me, that wasn't a very happy thing, but she's happy about it, and I'm happy for her that she's happy about it, and I'm just asking that he doesn't have to do that for me because I, I, I kind of like sugar. But if he asked me to, I would be delivered. I'd be a reluctant delivery, but I would, I would be delivered if that's what he wants from me. You know, God, God, is, God is delivering us for a purpose. And it's not drudgery. This is not hard, awful, terrible thing to do. This is just releasing ourselves into the thing God's called us to that he's already gifted us and equipped us to do. You're already equipped to do what God's inviting you to do. And the great invitation is just to step out. I want to tell you about a lady who heard that invitation years ago. Her name is, is Maureen uh, Hastings. I, I think, do you have that picture of her? Is it on that, it's not there? Oh, shoot fire. Well, <clears throat> that's about as close to cussing as I get. <laughs> well, I have a picture of Maureen. 
She's 80 years old. She lives in, lived in Belvedere, Bell, West Virginia, and Patty and I were on our way to an assembly. We went by to see Maureen because her husband, Don, and his wife, BK, and their children served with us. Her son, Don, yeah, I'm sorry. Her husband was Bill. He was crazier than Marvin. Marcus, I'm telling you, he, he and Marcus would have killed each other with stuff. Yeah, y'all would have run each other crazy. But uh, the, Bill, Don, and BK served on our staff for 10 years at three different churches. So they're really, they're just like family to us still today. So we stopped by to see Maureen, and uh, beautiful lady, 80 years old. And so we're getting ready to leave, and she said, oh, wait, 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 don't, but before you go, and she got out a, a book, just a, a regular little blank, kind of like you're supposed to journal in. I've, I've got one of those books already that I, could do, that I haven't written anything in. But she, she said, I, I want you to trace your hand right here. And so Patty traced her hand and signed her name, and I traced my hand and signed my name. And she said, now, every morning from now on, I'm going to put my hand over your hand and I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and she said the same thing to Patty. And she had the names of our children and grandchildren. So their complete anonymity, you didn't know Maureen was doing that, did you? Every day. She said, it takes me most of the morning to get through these books. But I just put my hand over your handprint, and I pray for you. If my people, <laughs> so you don't have to go out and open warfare. This is a spiritual battle. This isn't something we're going to fight on the street. This is something we're going to fight on our knees. That's where we're going to encounter this, and it's, it's hard work. Maureen said, takes me all morning. But she said, you know, I don't have anything better to do than that. Now, that's not true for everybody. Some people have to go to work and all. I know that. I'm just illustrating. Here's one of God's, my people, who heard him offer to her the opportunity to take up a place in making the difference. She had two books like that. Two books. Her grandson and granddaughter have them now. And uh, I had pictures. I thought I'd, I'd send it, and, and I failed to do it, and I apologize for that. But they sent me a picture of my handprint and, and Patty's. And I tell you, I miss knowing that Maureen would be praying for us. We lost another prayer partner a few months ago, and I miss June praying for us. What is it that God would want you to do? My people, what is it? What is it that you think God might want you to do? Lady in Olathe came to me and said, Pastor, you know, I went over here to another church and they have this thing called uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, MOPs. She said, I think we ought to have one of those here. And I said, I do too. And I said, I, I know somebody who could do that. 
Oh, she said, wonderful. Who is it? And I said, well, it's you. She said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Well, I said, he talked to you about it, didn't talk to me about it. I'm not going to do it. If he wanted me to do it, he'd have talked to me. He talked to you. Well, she said, I can't be up front and all that. I said, I'm not asking you to be up front. I'm just asking you to do what God's called you to do. If he wanted somebody else to do it, he would have talked to somebody else. He's talked to you about it. So get with it. Get you some help if you don't want. You know, Moses had to have Aaron. He didn't want to talk to people, but turned out to talk pretty good, didn't he? Before it's all over. So they have a MOPS program now in Olathe, Kansas. That wasn't my idea. I never crossed my mind to do something like that. So God had to speak to one of his, my people. Every great ministry that started where I've served as pastors was born in the hearts of one of God's, my people. And they came to me and said, we ought to do this. And I said, you're absolutely right. And I know a leader. Oh, wonderful. Who is it? And I'll go talk to them. I said, well, there they are right there. You're the one. And those are the ministries that last forever in the life of a church. You don't have to pump it up. You don't have to do anything. When my people get harnessed in the kingdom of God, that makes all the difference in the world. So I'm looking for volunteers tonight. My people, I want you to stand with me. Marcus is going to come, and in a moment we're going to sing that, that chorus more. Lord, I want you more. And my, my first phase of the invitation is this. If God were to speak to me, if God were to speak into my life and say, I want you to do this, and maybe it would be something like, I want you to get you a book. Start getting people's handprints. Put your hand on it every day. There are a lot of our people, retired people, who could do that. And uh, I used to tell our retired people, you know, you really need to do more than go look at the tulips in Michigan once a year. There's probably something more after retirement than that. We need to harness our energy. We have more time, more energy for prayer and intercession than we've ever had in our lives. And God is offering little simple ways to get involved in that. If God were to call me, a young couple here tonight, what if God were to call you to go to Africa? He might. You know, you don't, you don't offer yourself to God unless you're willing to be messed with because he'll, he'll take you up on it. So don't, don't want to play games with him because he'll, he'll, he'll do that. What, what if God were to tell you you need a new Sunday school class in your church and you're the one? You need to go talk to pastor and tell him what God's laid on your heart. Get that started. Some of you live in another little community 10, 15 miles away. God may say to you, you need, you need to start a church right here. You ought to go talk to pastor and Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene could sponsor a church right over there in that little community. We could do that. Whatever God might call you to do. My people, I'm talking to my people now. My people, what if God were to say that to you? Would you say yes? And if you would, I want you to come and stand here. Just come and stand with me. Anybody like that? If God were to say that, I'd just say yes, just like that. I would. I would say yes.